0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the God who has come seeking us, that you are the light of the world, and with your light comes life. We are so grateful for who you are. And we're thankful that you're here with us, that your spirit is already at work among us. So Lord, would you continue to help us have eyes to see you, ears that are willing to hear you and hearts that want to respond to who you are. Thank you for your goodness to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. And look at all of you, all of you who brave Snow Geddon 2022 to come to in-person worship. I think that's pretty fantastic. Great to have you here. We are keeping an eye on things, and uh, if we have to call an audible, we will if we feel like we need to do that to get you home safely. But otherwise, we're going to do this thing. But my encouragement to you is, and again, I'm a jaded Northwesterner like you are. I don't always believe the weather report, but it is supposed to get below freezing um, as we crest into the afternoon, which is about when we begin to end here. So. don't quote me on this, okay, as your pastor, but if there was ever a day to worship, enjoy community, and then go, it's probably today. So just, just a thought. But we love the fact that you're here, love that you're here with us. And we got a lot going on in the life of the church. I love this time of year. There's so much going on. But I also recognize there are a few of you that I don't recognize. So if you're a guest with us, welcome. On behalf of our church family, we're really glad that you're here with us. And on December 24th, Christmas Eve, we have three worship services for you to choose from. They are at 3, four thirty, and 6. We will live stream the 3 o'clock service. This is a candlelight service. It is the only service of its kind that we do this way all year it is so much fun we hope that if you're in town you'll be able to come to one of those services they are identical so you can choose and if you're like me you probably have one of these with you your cell phone and I would encourage you that as you plan on coming to one of those services on Christmas Eve that you bring someone with you and one of the ways that I like to remind myself of who's in my sphere of influence is I have so many contacts in here, and yes, a number of them aren't in the area, but a number of them are, and they're friends or their neighbors, or for maybe for you, their coworkers or whatever. Bring them with you. Bring them with you because this is a special, special service that we love for you to come be a part of. Now, Sunday this year falls on Christmas. Yes, it's one of those years where. Christmas is on Christmas Sunday. So because of all the things that we do this month, it's literally our busiest month of the year. We just got done with a children's musical, which we'll talk about a little bit more Um, And when I get to my sermon, it was epic. If you missed it, it was amazing. But we also have um, all the other stuff we do as, you know, in the life of our church in December. We're also having our community Christmas party, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, which is coming this next week. And then we have these three Christmas Eve services, which, again, we love doing, but it's a busy month for you and for our crew. And so unapologetically on Christmas day, we're not going to be holding English services because we want to rest our crew. They will have worked really hard through the month, So we'll still have the Christmas Eve service that will be living online on Christmas day. So if you want to watch that, you certainly can. If you want to add that to your worship at Christmas, but we want to bless you to be at home on Christmas Sunday. The next week is New Year's Sunday. Another one of those years where New Year's falls on Sunday. So assuming that, as usual, a number of you will be out of town or whatever, we're going to consolidate and put all of us in the room at the same time on New Year's Day. So we're doing one service, this service, one English service, 1045. So when is the service on New Year's Day? You got it. So at 1045 only 1045, you will come on New Year's Sunday, and we'll have a great celebration together. So we hope that you'll get to be a part of that. Okay, enough of that. Community Christmas party is coming, and um, I am thrilled to tell you that we started um, into this endeavor needing to purchase 225 food boxes. Guess how many we need to purchase purchase as of today? Zero. You have fulfilled all of those. Yeah, that is so... And that's just a slice of what we're doing at this at this event at this celebration. So there's still opportunity for you to serve on either um, Friday at the at the event or Saturday at the event or what we're doing on Monday. You can go online or out to the kiosk and talk to one of our crew if you haven't had a chance to volunteer your time. And thank you, a huge thank you to all of you. With all the giving, you're you're supplying the food boxes, you're bringing in additional food, you're bringing in clothes, and we can still take clothes this week, and especially with the weather doing what it's doing, heavy coats would be welcomed. We'd like to be able to distribute those as well. Um, Gosh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but it's just going to be an epic week. Thank you for being a part of it thank you for your generosity. It is a loud statement of our love for this community and our neighborhood in the name of Jesus Christ. So, so exciting that you're a part of that. This is also the Sunday where we formally call your attention to the financial giving that you do to um, Advent Conspiracy. And again, you can do that online, or if you're writing a check, just write that in the in the note line there so we make sure it goes to that. But the resources you give to that not only help fund the, the Christmas party, they go to Living Water, they go to Pregnancy resource centers right here in, um, in Gresham. And, uh, they provide resources really for us to reach into the community the rest of the year as well. So as you give to that, we just want to thank you for that. Um, and I think that covers the basis. So let me thank God for you. And for this time that we have together, Lord Jesus, thank you that we can be generous because you are the one who has been generous to us. You lavish your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your hope, new life upon each one of us. And we're so grateful for that. And because you have transformed us, we want to transform this community in your name and for your kingdom. So, Lord, we pray that you will take these resources that we have given and that we continue to give as an act of worship and use them to introduce more people to you to meet real needs here in this community in your name and to advance your kingdom. And Lord, as we prepare to light this next Advent candle, would you once again settle deeply into our hearts the reality that you are the God who always keeps your promises. May we always remember that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to invite Jeffrey and Morgan DeZellum to come on up and they're going to light our next Advent candle, the candle of promise. The candle of promise.
1: Advent is a season of waiting, expecting, and hoping. Beginning four Sundays prior to Christmas and ending on Christmas Eve, Advent helps us prepare for the coming, or Advent, of the Christ child at Christmas. The word Advent comes from the Latin word that means coming. For hundreds of years, Christians have used the Advent wreath to inspire their hopes for the coming
0: of Christ By lighting the candles and reading Bible verses, we are reminded
1: about the meaning of Christ's birth and become more excited about his coming in the past, in the future, and in our own lives. Last week, we lit the candle of presence to remember that Jesus is our Emmanuel, our God who is truly with us. Now we light the candle of promise to celebrate and remember together that Jesus truly is the promised Messiah who came to us as a righteous Savior. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior.
0: And so, Lord, as you have been speaking to us through these words we've been singing, through the lighting of this candle, we now ask that as we open your word, you would change us and make us more like you, and that you would do the work that you do of transforming us into who you've always created us to be. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you, Dissolms. Well, we continue on in our, in our really mini-series here of A Gospel Christmas. And in all the years I've been here at Grace, I think this is the first year we've ever really looked at Advent through the lens of each of the Gospels. Usually we land on one and go through it, which is great. But this is really fun to be doing a representation of of this uh, reality through all the gospels and really pinpointing unique things about God. That, that first symbol there represents what we talked about last week, that Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we'll dip back into that again today. Today, actually, we're focusing on Jesus is the son of Mary. Okay. Why does that matter? We'll go there. And then the week after, Jesus is the Son of David. The week after that, the week before Christmas Eve, Sean Rowley will take us through Jesus is the Son of God. And then we will do Jesus, the light of the world on Christmas Eve. So I'm really excited about this series. It's just been so much fun already. But today we talk about Jesus as the Son of Mary. And really what this series focuses on with God and with us is about identity. It's all about God's identity and therefore our identity. Because the reality is, for you and for me, we only discover our true identity when we understand God's true identity. And so the two really do go hand in hand. And so we're looking at this, this reality of Jesus as the son of Mary. So, you'll notice that we designed these banners and we designed these graphics with this kind of feel of a seal. And that was by design. It looks like each of these is a letter that's been sealed with this stamp. And in the ancient Near East in the first century, that was one of the ways that you knew something was real. That it was true. That there was an authority behind it. Because in a culture where most of the culture was verbal, people were largely illiterate and uneducated. They couldn't write. But they could see a seal and know exactly who it was from, what it was for, and what it meant. And we looked at this reality in John chapter 3 where we looked at Jesus himself saying this, the one who comes from above, and he's talking about himself, is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, and now he's talking about John the Baptist, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is about all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So when we choose to believe that God says who he says he is, we're recognizing that God the Father has said, Jesus is everything he says he is. He's put his stamp of approval, his stamp of certification on Jesus' life, except no substitutes. So, since we're talking about identity, you ever had your identity stolen? Your identity taken? ever wondered if something was true? I bet you have. I have. Any of you received an email from me in the last two weeks? (laughs) Unbelievable. And I very deliberately want to take just a little bit of time to speak to this. So there were some spam emails that went out, actually a number of them, most of them with my name, some of the name of some of our other leaders here at Grace, saying basically that I or they were in this clandestine confidential meeting and, you know, don't call us, but get us gift cards. Because, you know, when we get those gift cards, we're going to distribute them to cancer patients and to um, our staff and to people in need. And so... Unfortunately, and we're so sorry this happened, but someone got access to emails and sent out these messages that were not from me. If you ever get an email signed by me that says, Reverend J, it's not me. I don't go around describing myself that way. But some of these emails were signed that way. And if you really looked at the email line, you saw there were extra characters from the address it was sent from. But in fairness, most of us don't look that deeply into emails. And it sounded authentic enough that it made several folks pause. And that's understandable. But we would never solicit resources from you in that way. But unfortunately, it, it happened. What I can tell you very confidently is, we can see what they got access to, and it was emails. They harvested emails. They did not access your personal information or mine, any confidential information, any financial information. All that stuff is is still protected, and we've been working overtime to make sure we are as protected as possible. And one of the things that you'll see happen that will go live tomorrow is we're going to be introducing a, a two-stage authentication system for anytime someone. Um, goes into our, our database which will be a little probably inconvenient for you and me when we use our app or whatever and are accessing the database but it will be behind a two step security um, in response to this and we've got a great crew who are working really hard at this but we're sorry this happened I can't guarantee it won't happen again but we did see how they got in we've sealed up those, the ways they did that but, but it happened and I was thinking about this going you know Sometimes my identity gets hijacked, not by some fraudulent email entity, but by my circumstances, by my insecurities, my sinfulness. And if that wasn't enough, you and I have an enemy who would love for us to believe the lies that he tells us, that go right to the heart of who we are and challenge what we believe and challenge how, how we live. And so I would submit to you that this series is more relevant, more necessary than it ever has been before for us to once again anchor ourselves to God's true identity, which therefore leads to ours. So let's go back to our setting. So if you and I lived in the ancient Near East some 2,000 years ago, how would you prove your identity? How would you prove you were you? At some point here in the next handful of months, I need to get to the DMV to get my license updated to my real ID. Have you guys done that yet? You're going to need to. And when that time comes, I'm going to have to take in, you know, my social security card or um, a utility bill or a paycheck stub or what have you. There's all these things that I need to take with me to validate and show I am who I say I am. But when you live in a culture that is largely an oral culture where most folks don't know how to read and write, how do you establish identity? And the answer? Genealogies. In the ancient world, genealogies were hugely important. In fact, so important that people often had theirs memorized, and they could go back Tons of generations. And so genealogies were used to establish identity, to establish validity, to settle legal matters of property and what have you. They were hugely important. And in the spirit of honesty, if we can just be honest with one another, if you're like me, there are those times when I'm reading my Bible, Old Testament or New, and I come to a genealogy and I I think to myself, let's get to the good stuff. And I skip over it, right? Because it's boring. I mean, I don't want to read a bunch of names. But I would submit to you that what we're about to look at in the Gospel of Matthew is way, 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 way more than just some really cool sounding names. There is loads of significance and it goes right to the heart of God's identity, Jesus' identity, and our identity. So we're going to walk through this together and doggone it, we're going to do this thing. So pray for me. Yeah. I'm going to read these to you. <laughs> and we're going to go through them. They're divided into three chunks. The first chunk is basically Um, 14 generations from Abraham to David. The next one will be David to the exile. The last one will be the exile to Jesus. So here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz that was a freebie whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, round one done, round two, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Last list after the exile to Babylon, Jeconah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Iliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Ilahud, Ilahud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah this is the word of God <laughs> thank you thank you and some of you who know how those names really are presented are cringing with how I pronounce some of them but you know there it is just a list of names right wrong absolutely wrong. Hugely significant, hugely important for you and me. But let's see who made that list. And in fairness, father of can also mean ancestor of. So this isn't a 100% comprehensive. There are generations that are represented in the generations that are listed here, but it's, it's pretty comprehensive. But look who makes the list. We start with Abraham. Who is Abraham? One of the greatest figures in judaism yeah the father of the nation and a liar lied twice not once twice about who his wife was isaac who is isaac liar did the same thing his dad did lied about his wife jacob who was jacob liar (laughs) what does jacob's name mean Liar. liar deceiver right how about Judah? Holy guacamole. What a piece of work that guy was. I mean, really. You guys remember the Old Testament study when we went through Genesis? I mean, holy cow. He was um, the father-in-law of Tamar, and he had sex with her. Incest. Okay? That's just some of the men. Let's talk about the women. For starters, women were never included in genealogies for a number of reasons. No insult intended, ladies. But ancestry was traced through, through the men. Um, but when a woman was mentioned in a genealogy, it was very significant. So we have Tamar, who was Judah's daughter-in-law, um, and the incest was committed there. We have Rahab, who was a prostitute and wasn't even Jewish. We have Ruth also, who wasn't Jewish. And I, I made a mistake and got Ruth and Naomi, her mom, confused and said that she was an Israelite who moved to Moab. That was that was. Naomi Ruth was a Moabitess which means she was from the wrong side of the tracks as Jewish people were concerned she makes the list and it doesn't even name David's wife here because this is really most scholars believe an indictment on David but this is about Bathsheba who David seduced he basically committed royal rape with her um, and, and that happened so is this who you'd want in your genealogy And yet there's a reality with this genealogy that is so powerful and profound. And it's this, despite the brokenness, despite the sinfulness of so many of these people, this genealogy is dripping with God's grace, men and women. God worked through the lives of these people. God delights in taking broken people and redeeming them and restoring them and repairing them and renewing them and using them to accomplish His His purposes. And one of the women who's mentioned here is Mary. So, how did Mary become the mother of Jesus? Yesterday was my mom's birthday. And many of you know, we lost my mom earlier this year. So first birthday without her. So this is a painful day yesterday. I was at a memorial for an aunt we recently lost yesterday in Eastern Oregon. Today is the death anniversary of my oldest sister. Um, It's been a tough weekend, quite honestly. It's been tough. And one of the things I miss about my mom is my mom had this great sense of humor. I mean, she was so, she was just hilarious. And I remember, as little kids do, that one day as a little kid, I asked her, Mom, where did I come from? And without hesitation, she didn't even miss a beat. She said, well, son, your dad and I were out walking one day, and some of you've heard this story. Your dad and I were out walking one day, I kicked over a rock, and there you were. (laughs) And you jumped on my leg and wouldn't let go, and I couldn't shake you off, so we took you home. (laughs) I believed that till I was like 31. (laughs) That's a little bit of exaggeration I think I was 24 but you know I just one day I went wait a minute that's not what happened okay so how did Mary become the mother of Jesus this tells us it's easy to read on by this but it's one of the many incredible spiritual realities in this genealogy that we just read through in the original language this says that God overshadowed her as the gospel of Luke also says that she wasn't impregnated through sex, but through the Holy spirit. Now let's take this for a quick test drive. Your daughter, your granddaughter, your sister comes to you and says, I'm pregnant and she's not married. And you reasonably ask her, how'd this happen? And she says, God made me pregnant. How well would that go over with you? <laughs> it almost sounds like someone kicking over a rock and finding their son that way. That's really? But that's exactly what this says. And the significance of this, Gary began to help us see last week. Do you remember when we looked at Jesus as Emmanuel, as our God with us? This was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So we go back to this Old Testament book. We see this promise, and Gary helped us see that when this promise was given, it didn't quite reach fulfillment because the woman who this was said about became pregnant and gave birth to a son, And she got pregnant because she was married to Isaiah. And so this didn't quite make sense until we read this genealogy. And we begin to realize why does it matter that Jesus is the son of Mary? Because he is the one who was promised. This fulfills a promise. A prophecy, a prediction that had made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. Well, okay, so, so, do we begin to even realize half of what this means? Because this is true, it means Jesus is God, This genealogy started with Matthew declaring he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to come back and look at next week the significance of what it means that he's the son of David. What does that really mean? It means that Jesus is fulfilling these promises that God gave to Abraham and to David. Jesus is the one who's ultimately going to fulfill these because he's God's son. But that's not all. He's also fully human. He's one of us. He gets us because he's one of us. Let me ask you, anybody tired here today? You tired? Yeah, so is Jesus. Do you remember John chapter 4 that we already progressed through when he meets the woman at the well? Remember the little sentence that sets up the scene when he walks up and the disciples walk up? What does he do? He sits down. Why? Because he's tired and thirsty. That's why he's at a well, in part. You ever been tired or thirsty? Yep, so is Jesus. Ever been angry? So has Jesus. Ever been compassionate and loving to others? So has Jesus. Ever been patient when you probably didn't want to? So has Jesus. Watch him and the disciples. We've already seen some of that. And on it goes. Jesus is one of us. He gets us. He knows us. He he understands us. And the fact that this promise is fulfilled proves that he is Emmanuel. And this in itself is just life-changing. It's, it's huge. Let's think about it from this standpoint. How is religion defined at its base definition? What is, what is religion? It's people seeking God, right? That's the gist of how you define religion. People seeking God through some creed or code or rules or rituals or whatever. But what does the Bible teach? What does this declare? That Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is people seeking, excuse me, religion is people seeking God. Christianity is about God seeking you. You don't come looking for God. God has come looking for me. And for you, we are the only worldview, the only belief system that teaches this and proclaims this because it's true. Religion is about people seeking God, empty religion. Christianity, the Bible is about a God who comes seeking us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we count down to this. That's why we celebrate this. That's why our kids put together this epic children's musical this last Friday night. It was so great. If you weren't here, boy, you need to pencil that in, just like you do the community Christmas party and Christmas Eve services for next year. Boy, you just, you want to come. And if you missed this year, it lives on our YouTube page. You can go watch it. It's worth your time. It was, it was so well done. And kids can get away with murder, you know, everything wasn't absolutely choreographed perfectly, and that's what made it wonderful. I mean, it was just, it was so fantastic, and it was a really clear celebration of a God who draws near to us. Do you know how often the Bible talks about the reality that God is near to us? Psalm one forty five eighteen: the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Or how about this? In the New Testament, Philippians 4, 4 through 6, the Lord is near is near do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition present your requests to God and the peace of God will transcend all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus why because God is near so if this is true and it is Then Jesus is the very person and presence of God, which means, which means he always keeps his promises. Because if he kept this promise, it means he's going to keep all his promises, does it not? Do you know how many promises, how many predictions, how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled? When he came, the manner in which he came, how he came, his genealogy? Over 300. Over 300 specific predictions and prophecies, prophecies, many written thousands of years before Jesus appeared on the scene. He fulfilled every single one of them. That's why we lit the candle of promise today to remind ourselves, this is the God who keeps His promises. But in the first century when He came, it didn't feel like it. Do you know how long people had been waiting for the Messiah to come? Thousands and thousands of years. And if that wasn't enough, we know for a fact historically that when Jesus came, there were a number of false messiahs who would have been appearing on the scene. There was this messianic fervor that was at this fever pitch. And you had these people who would present themselves as the messiah and they would get a following and they would try to stage a revolt against Rome and Rome would brutally suppress it. And and disperse it and, and kill those who resisted and kill off the leaders. And this was happening at the time Jesus came. There was this longing, this desire, this waiting for him to finally come and he finally did. So what are you waiting for this morning? What are you waiting on God for? Man, you fill in the blank but from what you've shared with me, I know what some of them are. And you long for that child, that grandchild, that family member to know Jesus or to return to the Lord. And you wait and you wait and you wait. Or you're, you're waiting for that relationship that is conflicted to somehow get to a better place. You're waiting for that person, you're really trying your hardest to forgive. You're waiting for the feeling to actually come with that. You're making the choice to forgive, but man, do you not feel like it? You fill in the blank. What are you waiting for this morning? Because the reality is, God's people have always waited on him. In this very story we celebrate, the people in this story had been waiting generations and generations and generations for Messiah to come, and he did. Which means that God can be trusted to fulfill his promises. If he did this, he's going to come back, and he's going to fulfill all the other promises he makes to you and me. Well, what are those? Well, that's another sermon, actually, many sermons. In fact, we get ourselves in trouble when we put God on the hook for promises he never made to us. But there are a ton of promises he has made to us. And I think one of the main things we walk away with, one of the realities we internalize with this is God keeps his promises. He kept this one. He'll keep all the others. And my friends, more than ever, this gives us hope. Is there any one of us who doesn't need hope? What do you need hope for today? You ever given up on God? Because you're just tired of waiting? Or ever felt like God has given up on you? So I mentioned that Jamie and I went to a memorial service for an aunt yesterday. She was my, my dad's youngest sister. So now I have only one aunt left that entire generation now is, is almost gone. And um, one of the amazing things about my Aunt Betty, which is who had passed away and whose service was yesterday, was she and her husband met in this, this small Eastern Oregon town and got married, had been high school sweethearts, began to have kiddos and they had eight kids. And then one day he had a heart attack And he was gone. And so here's my aunt Betty with this wheat ranch to now run and farm by herself with eight kids in a day and age where single moms weren't really, or single parents weren't really a reality. So there were no resources for her except this, this small community. And she is someone who could have been defined by her circumstances. She had a number of heartaches and difficulties invade her life, just like you and I do. And she refused to be defined by those. She instead chose to put her hope in Jesus, and she waited on him for things, and some things she she never got answers for. But she was faithful. And my friends, that little church was packed out with almost that entire community because of how she lived her life because she had hope and she didn't give up on that hope and she lived that hope and way too often your identity and mine is hijacked by our circumstances or we have that gravitational pull back to that sinfulness and selfishness that we know the Lord has rescued us from but instead we find ourselves drawn back to it. And we let that, once again, begin to define our lives. We let our lives be defined by our past or by our current brokenness or sinfulness. And that that's, doesn't have to be our story. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've received him into your life as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer defined by your past or even your present. Who you are is who he says you are. And the reality is for you and me, if if we have him in our lives, your deepest desire is actually to trust and obey him, even when you don't want to, even when it doesn't feel like you can. Not necessarily your strongest desire in the moment. I mean, many times in our battle against selfishness and sin and and going back to that old life that we're trying to walk away from, we allow that to define us and we go right there. But even in those moments, even in the heart of the strongest desire, the deepest desire is actually to trust and obey God because he's given you a new heart. He's transformed you from the inside out and you and I have his spirit. I was talking with um, one, of our, one of our shut-ins who faithfully watches online every, every week. She just doesn't have the health or the ability to be here. And there's a number of people like that. I'm so grateful for the online community and the, the medium that we now have to reach into more people's lives through that. But um, I was visiting her and talking with her and she said, you know, I have this friend who she knows about God and a lot of people do. I bet you have people in your life who know about God but don't know him and this friend knows about God but but she doesn't know him and therefore her identity continues to be pulled back into her brokenness and her past and she can't understand God's work in her life because she doesn't know him And what's so amazing about this God is he keeps pursuing you and me. That's what Christmas is all about. So have you allowed him to to capture you? I mean, to your credit, you know about God because you're here. And that's fantastic. That's actually proof that God is working in your life. But do you know him? Is he your God? Because if he is, you have a new identity and he offers you a grace that completely transforms your life. And again, just so we're on the same page, God's grace is his unearned, unmerited, freely given love for the sake of right relationship with him and right relationship with others and empowerment to serve and love him and to serve and love others. When you've experienced that, that's when you begin to understand your true identity. And one of the things I love about communion, it's a reinforcement of, of what we've been talking about here this morning. It's a reminder of what our identity is, what Jesus has done for us, how he's given us his grace. And for those of us who have responded to it by receiving him into our hearts and lives, we're changed. That's our identity. Not necessarily what's going on now or what's in your past. And with that, my friends, comes hope. And so we're gonna celebrate that hope this morning. I'm gonna invite our, our leaders, our servers, to come forward and prepare the communion elements. And we're gonna do something by design a little differently this morning. So when you come forward to receive your elements, would you look around? And if there's someone who can't come forward, would you offer to get the elements for them? And we're always happy to give you you know extra elements for you to take back to someone else. Don't ever hesitate to do that. But once everyone's been served, we're going to invite you to break up into smaller groups. And I know this may be a little uncomfortable for some of you. We're not trying. That's not the design of this, but I get that. But we want to encourage you to celebrate communion in smaller communities here. And so we want to encourage you that as you get your elements and once everyone's been served, you look around, include people in your group, make sure everyone's a part of a group, and then we'll take communion together. So come forward. Receive these elements, and let's celebrate and remember what He's done for each one of us. Hallelujah, Amen. And I hope you believe that yes. because it's true. Yesterday <laughs> at my aunt's service, my my cousin um, delivered the message, and it was just such a clear, compelling message of the gospel. And he um, preached that message out of John chapter eleven, which is just a, a beautiful passage. And for those of you who may not remember, it's about Jesus hearing that Lazarus, one of his closest friends, is sick and he deliberately doesn't get back in time to heal him because he has a greater purpose in mind. He's going to show that he is the resurrection and the life. And so Mary and Martha have lost all hope and their hearts are crushed. And Martha comes out to him and basically asks him, why didn't you come? And then Jesus says this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who has come into the world. What an amazing statement of faith. And I hope that you can say that with the same certainty. You know, one of the amazing things about this God who pursues us is he continually pursues us. And it's, it's never too late in his pursuit of us to enter into his kingdom. I don't want to assume in a gathering this size that we all know the Lord. Maybe you know that you don't and you've been wrestling with this. Well, as we close our time here, I want to pray for you to be able to receive him into your life. And for those of us who do know and love him, we have hope. And this world desperately needs this hope. So my prayer for you and me will be that God gives us the opportunity this week to have a conversation with someone so that we can tell them about this hope we have in Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you're here with us, that you are near that you are the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Thank you that you fulfill and keep all your promises. You always do what you will say because you say that if someone chooses to respond to your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, that they can enter into your kingdom by receiving you. So I pray for anyone here who has not made that defining moment decision, not just to know about you, but to know you as their God, that they would receive you into their heart right now by just simply saying between you and them, Lord, I want you in my life. Thank you that you love me and that you will never leave me. And Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you, that as we go from here, we would unapologetically live a life of hope that we would proclaim your hope, that you would give each one of us, including me, the opportunity to tell someone about who you are this week because you are a good and gracious and great God who pursues us and who loves us. Help us to see you, help us to hear you, help us to respond to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So go home safely. And thank you for being here. We love you. we we'll look forward to seeing you at the community Christmas party and then seeing you at worship next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for sermon audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to
1: gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.